0: So as we sort of think about the reprise of of what we heard, I just want to just give you a little opportunity right now to just shout out from Zoom and here, what did you hear when Ian was speaking about both Chapters 11 and Chapter 12 that really struck you? This isn't a test. It's just an opportunity. And we're part of the assembly of, yeah, the firstborn, along with Jesus. Fantastic. Anything else? I remember you said that uh, we should remember anything. We should remember to renew our faith, firm faith. Yes. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things when he was telling us about the champions of the faith was he was saying, Faith isn't this standalone object that you have to grasp by disciplined thought and that you eventually get to this place where you have like this demonstration of things that you're hoping for. In fact, that's the consequence of the fact that you're trusting in someone who is trustworthy. And so he affirmed to us those promises of God that we could really step into. And he showed us also that, I don't know if you remember that, uh, the one on the covenant where Abraham, uh, God cut a, a covenant with Abraham and he, God himself walked between the split carcasses that were laid out as a symbol that God would take upon himself that curse if he ever did not f- fulfill his promises that God alone made the covenant with Abraham. And then Ian showed us that Jesus alone made a new covenant in his torn flesh on the cross when he stood in as the atonement for our sins, and that he ushered in this new covenant, and that Jesus is the ultimate um, sacrificial victim, also the ultimate high priest, and that he serves at the true altar in the true temple. He himself is the true temple. Since the beginning of chapter one, I would really encourage you to go back and read Hebrews. I'm getting some echo, is that, is that just me? Okay, I'll, I'll move on. You're getting echo too? Okay. I don't know if we, uh, is that better, teeny bit? Yeah, it is better for me. Thank you, Scott. (laughs) The author, right from chapter 1 in in Hebrews, uh, from verse 1 in Hebrews 1, he's been stressing that this new covenant that we have in Jesus is superior, more excellent, even better than the wonderful covenant that God had cut with Abraham. And he, he reveals that the reality of Jesus, in all these chapters, as the ultimate high priest, offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice in the true temple of his own body, and that this was so binding and effective that he has actually sat down in the Holy of Holies in total authority over this realized redemption. And so the author to the Hebrews says, Brothers, we now have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain of his own flesh. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The audience of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who they are, but they would have been intimately familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, with Torah observance and all their religious rituals in the sacrificial system. And they had come, some of them were Jewish believers, and I think some of them were even high priests in the system. And they had come to the shocking realization that Jesus of Nazareth was their Messiah and mediator of this long-for covenant. It was lovely to sing today i can only imagine standing in the assembly of the firstborn with these new believers saying you are the one we've been waiting for you are the one we've been waiting for you are the one we've been waiting for you are god that incredible realization that must have had that liberating joy and then when you told people it wasn't so popular <laughs> it meant if you were a priest you lost your job you lost your livelihood Some of them were thrown into prison. It says in uh, Hebrews 10 also, he tells in 32, he he recognizes that his readers had endured suffering, imprisonment, even plundering of their own goods because of the stance that they had in the Messiah, Jesus. And he's writing to them to to encourage them because these same believers who had this hoped for uh, shalom that was coming, this was the new era that was being ushered in It wasn't looking so new. It was looking a little bit like the old one, but, you know, something. So what do we do? So there must have been this feeling of how do we enter, how do we live our lives into the future? And they must have been tempted to abandon their faith entirely or to return to the old ways of covenant practice. So in Hebrews 10 to 12, the author is writing to his audience to encourage them, to exhort them as the word, as we heard last week, that encouragement and warning to about the soundness of what they believed in that's the encouragement but also this edge of warning that this is not something to be taken lightly in fact um in hebrews 10 26 to 31 the author reminds his audience that in the mosaic covenant if somebody violated the covenant they would be put to death by by the two or three witnesses so let's not neglect this great salvation that we have in front of them And so he says to them, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, that collective language, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are doing. All the more as you see the day of judgment approaching. So today, I want to just really emphasize this truth that walking together in the community of faith in that new covenantal community helps us hold on to the truth that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and most especially in the face of personal social and religious temptations to abandon that to go back to a place of comfort so these are parting words Hebrews 13 are parting words from our brother who's writing this chapter to us now i know i've gone on for a long time and i want to just maybe show how i've organized as i was reading this i saw kind of a an organization of the of the chapters and what i think that what i want to say is really the key point for me is what is verse eight jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and we see there's, these, there's an admonition to continue in brotherly and sisterly love, showing compassion, uh, hospitality and compassion to sinners, to engage in honorable sexuality and monetary contentment, to remember the words and the life of our leaders. And then there's the second part, which was not part of the lectionary readings, but which makes sense to me, which is something about religious rituals, about sacrificial foods in the system, and then sacrifices that are pleasing to God and obeying the leaders. And let me just, the next slide just shows that I see some of these kind of going together. So I'm gonna talk together about brotherly and sisterly love and pleasing sacrifices, and then two words kind of of warning around uh, honorable sexuality and religious rituals, and then um, something about our leaders. But the most important thing, if we could have the next slide, is that it all hangs It all hangs on the notion that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the essential notion. And I want to start with the words from chapter, I think from verse 7, it says, remember your leaders and the word, what does this say? Hang on, i got to get this straight. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God And consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So I think that when we as 21st century Christians here remember your those leaders who spoke to you the word of God. We tend to hear remember that great sermon you heard or maybe even the word of God as scriptures remember those somebody read the proper scriptures to you. I want to um, say, though, I think it's important to think about this, that the Word of God is actually Jesus. And we think, of course, of John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, talking about Jesus. But in fact, in Hebrews 4, as Ian pointed out to us, we hear the words, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the intentions of the heart. And this is true. This is my experience reading scriptures oftentimes. But then it goes on to say, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom all must give account. So I want to say that really, when we think about the word of God, let's think about Jesus as being central and not as just some kind of scriptures that we're reading, but let's hang everything on the fact that Jesus is the the word of God. And I think this is particularly important to us as Emmaus Jesus people, because the key message in Hebrews is that the Psalms, prophets, and the Torah all point to Jesus as the fulfillment. And we were named after the experience captured in Luke 24 of two disciples who, after Jesus' crucifixion, were on their, walking on their way to the village of Emmaus. And Jesus, unrecognized to them, comes along to them and says, how come you're feeling so sad? And they're saying, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. And then it says that he opened the scriptures to them and showed them that it was necessary that the Messiah must suffer and on the third day be raised again. And don't you just, when you hear that long, long to have been there, long to have been there as he opened up the Psalms and the prophets and the law saying, pointing to himself, that's what we are. And we can still do that for one another. And that's why I thought it was so important that Ian was talking about the two wings of the gospel, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures, that we bring those together and that, that especially as Emmaus Jesus people, is something that we wanna do. So my first encouragement to our community is to be serious about studying and speaking to one another from the scriptural witness of Jesus in the, in the New Covenant as well as the Old Covenant scriptures. I'm moving on, I'm getting there. Okay. So I'm going to just talk a bit about a little bit. So let's start with the first set of encouragements, brotherly and sisterly love. Oh, I had a question I was going to ask you to try to get your engagement, and I forgot what it was. But anyway, I'm sorry. Are we OK? You still engaged? OK, super. OK. So the first set is really about encouragement to brotherly and sisterly love. And I just want to say again that this whole book of Hebrews is a model of brotherly love affection. There's this tone always about brothers and the interesting thing about brothers and sisters is that you don't choose them you know like Jesus chose us and we're all here and sometimes you think how did they get into the kingdom you know it's like when you're with your brother you're like this is my brother like what planet were you born on you know so but the thing that unites us as brothers and sisters is the fact that we have a common source and we have And and that creates loyalty and affection and standing up for one another. And I was so grateful that Ian said exactly the assembly of the firstborn, Jesus is our common source. And the author to the Hebrews says over and over again, he refers to the brotherhood of Jesus. Says in Hebrews 2.11, Jesus was not afraid to call us brothers. And Jesus was made like his brothers Maybe sisters too, but maybe like his brothers in every respect so that he is the merciful high priest and now we are that uh, part of with him in the assembly of the firstborn. So that brotherly and sisterly love, and I think that the author is saying that it's expressed, especially in hospitality and in remembering those in prison so let's just talk very briefly about these. I think that, especially for Christians who were coming out of the Jewish faith, in which festivals and feasts and Sabbath supper was such a part, a feature of their life together, it must have been um, sort of like, what do we do now? And I think that, that eating together, which was the center of so much of Jewish life, is continues to be critically important, and he's making that point. And it's not just the Sabbath uh, or the, you know the intimacy of friends he's saying invite strangers too and that reminds me of the words that Jesus spoke he says when you when you set the table invite people who can't reciprocate invite your strangers go get the people from the byways and the highways those are the people you're not doing hospitality as a way of engaging in kind of like social tit for tat type thing you're engaging this as the expression of who God is and his grace towards you So let's make hospitality a feature of our life at Emmaus. I think it's particularly important, since we don't have this building that we can come to, that our tables, our home tables, become places of hospitality and receiving people, especially as we enter the new year with students arriving. Please, God, let them all arrive. Invite a student home. Feed a student. You never go wrong feeding a student, right, Li Xing? It's always a good thing. Would you say, Carrie? Always feed a student, yes? Invite, especially, people that you don't know. That's who you open your your hospitality to. The other one is compassion for prisoners. And I just want to say that the prison situation was quite different in those days, because it, it's not like they had a criminal justice system when you got fed and watered by the state for, for several years. Nobody was sitting on death row in those prisons, because They'd been executed for some other reason. They were detained for all sorts of things, oftentimes just debt. And in fact, this was in the recent experience of people who were had paid as who had been in prison because they had believed in Jesus. And so I, I think about the prisons that I know in Bolivia, and probably those of you who've been in other countries, you think of prisons, and they're not like here, where you, like you have to come up with your own food you have to you have to pay for a place to sleep you have to pay for toilet paper you have to pay for everything so remembering people who are in prison sometimes meant looking after their most basic needs of providing food and some kind of amenities for them to be able to go in so remember and be compassionate to people who have paid a important social cost especially for their own faith The second part of this actually warns us here is that that he says, remember, there are people who um, expect, he says, expect social opposition and exclusion even, just like Jesus bore it willingly, be be, be willing to bear that reproach in the gospel. And so you no longer are, um, the kind of sacrifices that we are offering to God are pleasing sacrifices of praise and then sharing with what we have. The message here is that faith is not a private affair. It's not something that, that you can just keep to yourself and have a private faith. Faith typically will have a social cost. And I think about people in our midst or people who we know who pay a social cost for their faith in Jesus. Who do you know who, what kind of people might pay a social cost for their faith in Jesus, for the publicly declaring their faith in Jesus? Academics, I would say, especially, I would say, in the liberal arts and social sciences, and students in those departments, yeah? Who else? Politicians, yeah, who, who, who state their faith in God. Think about international students who come from other countries. I to- totally from Muslim countries. Imagine coming here, coming to faith, and going back to a Muslim country. Even China is not so easy to go back to as a Christian. Jewish people who again believe in Jesus. A lot of people bear sanction, and so especially and especially as we welcome students and we have so many academics in our midst, let's really be attentive to the social cost that some of these uh, brothers are paying for their faith in Jesus. The next set is about some, some warnings about honorable sexuality and um, monetary contentment, and I'm putting these together because in Hebrews 12, and Ian mentioned that last week, was there was the mention of um, see to it that nobody sins deliberately and that nobody is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, and then there was the idea that Esau had sold his birthright in order to gain a, a meal. And Ian introduced the term for which I'm very grateful, which is of sp- spiritual promiscuity, and what that means essentially is that you put something else above God. That there's something to you that's more important than God is, and that this can be particularly expressed in sexuality and in love of money. So honorable sexuality is sexuality that keeps that within marriage, just the idea of keeping the marriage bed undefiled. And so we want to just say that the place for sexual expression is within the covenant of marriage, and that we neither withhold sexual pleasure within that covenant, nor become so obsessed with it that we diminish another person. And actually, how we behave has an impact on our community. We hear about it when there's a scandal, but the way that we act in our marriages does have an impact on our community. Money what's so important about keeping free from the love of money I think the idea within Hebrews is that if you trust in something else more than you trust in God then that becomes a problem we hear Jesus warning no one can serve two masters you will either love one or have such feeble love for the other that it becomes hatred you cannot serve God and money So money can become our master. And we counter this with contentment and trust in God as the ultimate source of provision. The author quotes um, from various Psalms and says, we just keep telling ourselves, the Lord is my helper, the Lord is near. What can man do to me? That's how we counter our worry about money. So the message today at Emmaus, I think, is that there is no private uh, faith and there is no private sin. Oftentimes, we hear we got to get the state and the church out of our bedrooms and that it's gauche to talk about money. My business is my business, but in the community of faith, these things do matter. The author of Hebrews is saying what you do in your bedrooms and with your purse has import for the community of faith. So it's really something to think about. I'm really running out of I have to I have to wrap it up but I guess I do want to talk about the ritual system. This was a kind of odd thing to get a mind about, but I guess I understood it as the Jewish believers would have had a temptation to go back to the rituals that had, they had, al- that had always been part of their holiness practice. And I think the author is saying to them, don't go back to the shadow of things. Don't go back to mere religious practice eating certain foods and so on. But remember that you are serving at the altar, the very altar of Jesus himself, that you are strengthened by grace and that you have new holiness practices now. And I think the message for us at Emmaus is that let's not confuse our Anglican Christianity with the message of Jesus itself. Let's always allow ourselves when we speak to one another to be startled, shocked, awed, by the reality of what Jesus has done in our lives. Always, that always comes before the rituals of, and the liturgy of what we're doing in the Anglican church. It's tempting to uh, think of church as going to church on Sunday, but it's so much more than that. And let's keep that alive in our conversations with one another. The issue about encouraging of obeying leaders, I definitely want to say that you know, as people step up and take responsibility, let's be considerate of one another in that place. And let's always remember that as leaders, our our job is to speak words of encouragement about the word of life, that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday and forever. And as I was listening to this, I'm kind of going, anyway, the same spirit that I think was telling me that I needed to speak on Hebrews 13, I was asking the Lord, how do I finish? How do I close? And I kept hearing the words that Trevor spoke to us in his last sermon to us. And I'm going to just remind you what they were, because I think they're very relevant. Trevor encouraged us to step into the foundational knowledge and trust of our true identity in God in order to face opposition and engage creatively in the world as Emmaus Jesus' people. He affirmed that we are God's chosen people, even when we feel like exiles in our culture. He affirmed that God's spirit is always at work in us, making us holy, transforming us. He affirmed that we have been cleansed and made new by the person and the work of Jesus, And from that liberating position of no guilt, no shame, we work in partnership with him and in obedience to him for the transformation of the world. And finally, this kept coming to me over and over again, we are safe in the kingdom of God. Nothing is unknown or uncertain to God. We are safe. So as we walk together in our faith in God, let us be considerate to one another in brotherly and sisterly love, opening our tables in hospitality, being compassionate to those who are paying prices, being aware that our behavior always affects the community. It starts in our hearts and the actions affect our community. And let us engage in in sacrifices that are pleasing to to God in that verbal expression of praise that we have in sharing with what we've got with one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you opened for us by your body and blood a new and living way to God. Thank you that you are our great high priest and that we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace knowing that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness and that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Lord Jesus, shepherd of our flock, help our little community of Emmaus people to hold fast to the confession of our hope in you without wavering, confident in what you have promised, and build us in the brotherly and sisterly affection that helps us to hold to the truth and promises that you are the same yesterday. You are the same today. You will be the same forever. So that we can be faithful to you in the face of personal, social, and religious temptations, amen.